everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk to you not just about things you didn't learn in school or only partially learned in school, but should have. We're here specifically to talk about Black History because it is Black History Month. Yes, it is. And we've been doing some themed episodes on and off. And I think this is definitely an important one to do because these are definitely things we did not learn about until like we were adults. And in some cases, we didn't learn about until this week. Yeah, we always talked about some basic civil rights stuff and, of course, slavery in school, but it was always, there were slaves, then white people stopped slavery. And then there was Martin Luther King Jr., but he was helped by uh, JFK. And then there was never racism again. Yeah, the 15th Amendment allowed everybody to vote, and it was perfect after that. Yep. No complications, certainly not things going on even to this day. Yeah, and when it comes to the civil rights movement, we really only ever heard about Rosa Parks, who was not the only person to do the bus, uh, the refusal to move to the back of the bus, and Martin Luther King, who was not the only major civil rights leader. We didn't learn about Clara Looper, who I talked about way back on episode one. And we didn't learn about Malcolm X, who I don't to this day know much about, but I know he was pretty important deal. Yes, he was. I read a little bit about him and I was like, I don't think I want to cover that this week. Not because it's not important to cover it, but I really kind of was drawn back to covering another woman who was involved with this because we literally only ever heard about Rosa Parks while other men were thrown into the story of the civil rights movement. It's like, what what was one? John Lewis. John Lewis. Yeah, John Lewis is like Austin's superhero. It's like, everybody read March by John Lewis. It's a graphic novel series. But it's amazing. So we are here today to talk about that kind of stuff. Do we have anything else we want to cover before we jump into it, though? I mean, I don't know. What kind of rants have we been on this week? Well, this is the week where they officially didn't kick Trump out of office. We are shocked that the Republican Senate decided to not vote him out of office. Yeah, and that's... I'm not saying it's not a problem, but the bigger problem I have is the absolute refusal to hear witnesses. The statement that a president cannot be impeached or cannot get in trouble for anything they do as long as they think their re-election will help the country. We have set a very dangerous precedent. Now, we talked about back in our impeachment episode, which I think was episode eight, that there are really no rules when it gets to the Senate in the impeachment process, but we have now set the precedent that the president cannot commit crimes. And then I don't mean that he doesn't commit crimes. It's that they cannot be recognized as crimes so long as he thinks it will help him get reelected. America. Yeah, America is crazy broken. And also now he's kicking people out of their jobs who actually had the guts to speak against him, which is not an easy thing to do, whether or not you agree with someone. Yeah, so he's basically purging all the dissidents. Yeah, we're kind of looking at like a We are very clearly kind of seeing a dictatorship start right now. This is not great. (laughs) So guys, if I suddenly am no longer here, it means that the government has been listening to us and they've come after me. (gasps) Then double scandal, because those those listeners have not been reported on our statistics. And I'm going to be very mad that we had all these listeners we didn't know about. This is episode 21. We've been doing this for just over five months. Oh my gosh. If this this podcast was a person, it could drink. 21 weeks, dude. What age did you start drinking? Uh, not 21 weeks. 21 weeks is just over five months old when you really shouldn't be drinking anything that's not, you know, made for babies, whether from a boob or... Um, Kahlua is made for babies. There's a baby on the bottle. So last week and the week before I was drinking wine, today it's hot chocolate with Kahlua in it, which is kind of my new favorite thing. I've always liked coffee and Kahlua. 
But I don't want to drink coffee late in the day because I'm already a diagnosed insomniac. Yeah, it's every once in a while, like, you know, I'll kind of like the cat will wake me up at like two in the morning and I'll just look over and she'll just be staring at the ceiling and just kind of awake. And it's like, oh, no, I know all of the tricks. I have done everything that doctors have ever told me to do. And my brain just doesn't want to go to sleep. Have you tried opium? That's illegal. Fine. But we could go square. We could, we could start growing some poppies, just kind of see if things work out. Poppies! Poppies! We are in Kansas City, and the Chiefs did win the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. We did not watch it because we are not sports people. No, but we did have that really great day we talked about. We ended up not going to Ikea, but that's the only thing that we didn't do because we got through everything else. We're like, you know what? We're sleepy. So we went home. We ate our donuts from Hertz Donuts. You guys can sponsor us. And. We ordered in Chinese food because we knew Chinese would not be getting as much business that night. And our Chinese food showed up in 20 minutes. It was great. Yeah, which means that like that Chinese place is about nine minutes away. So it was like boom, boom, boom. And it was real good. It was great. And of course, you know, Chiefs won. We had a big parade. Um, (laughs) There was only one police chase down the parade route. Oh, my God. Um, And there's a video circulating of a guy trying to climb up into a tree, but his pants are falling down. Yeah. And then he falls out of the tree. It's really funny, and I think everybody should watch it. And then he got arrested because he was being belligerent. And then there was another guy who was arrested for being on a horse. Yeah, he was trying to ride a horse into the parade. I heard that he's actually like a legit cowboy. Hey, I'm glad we're talking about cowboys. Why is that? Because I'm going to get into my topic now, because you gave me the perfect segue. (laughs) It actually wasn't planned. (laughs) It was not. I just, it's like, I'm playing like, I'm playing chess and I'm five moves ahead. But I just played the only move in this entire segue. So really, I guess you won. So my topic I picked this week for Black History Month is the Wild West, not the Will Smith movie. Are you trying to tell me that they can't see the last moments of someone's life if they do, if they put a camera through their eyeballs or something? Nope. There's no. There were no giant robot spiders. You know and... that Will Smith did that movie instead of The Matrix? Oh, Will Smith. He was offered Neo and he was like, no, I think Wild Wild West is going to make more money and be a better movie. The Fool. But- I see um, where Jaden gets it from. Oh, I just forgot the other guy's name. Not Neo. The guy who brings him in. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne, his character. Um, uh, Morpheus. Yeah, Morpheus was was supposed to be white. And Leo, and Neo was supposed to be black. And I think it does make it a better movie to have that switched. Yeah. Not because the hero should be white, but because the, he's, the, he's the dumb character who doesn't really know what's up. Mm-hmm. And I think if you want, like, they're going for a more serious movie. And Will Smith would have, like... Men in blacked that one up and just been like, whoa, that's, oh my gosh. That's very true. And like with Neo, it was more of a subdued thing and they had like the more serious temper to it. So let's get back on topic. Wicked wild wild. <laughs> I'm talking about the Wild West and the fact that did you know that about one quarter of the cowboys in the Wild West were African-American? Yes, but only because I came across that when I was trying to find a subject. So, cool! So, yeah, we both found, like, the same stuff. And about one-third of all cowboys were non-white. I did not know that. Yeah. Like, I actually assumed that if there were non-white cowboys, they were going to be Latino. No, lots of black Mm -hmm. cowboys. And I watched a shit ton of westerns growing up. I can name on, like, one hand all of the black people I saw in westerns. Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is one. Django Unchained. Haven't ever seen that. It's pretty good. I think it would be upset me, though. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie, so it's ultra-violent. And then one other character was Dietz in Lonesome Dove, played by Danny Glover. I haven't seen that. I love Lonesome Dove. It's really good. 
I didn't grow up on Westerns. Uh, I didn't see Blazing Saddles until I was 25. Dude, I love Westerns. And again, no black people in any of them. And that's why I was so shocked when I saw this. I was like, what? And it makes perfect sense when you stop and think about it. Uh-huh. Because, oh, I thought you were pointing something out. You're just, okay. No, there's just, I found a, I'm easily distracted, guys. I do, I, I have ADHD and I noticed that there was a bump on the side of the table. And now I've noticed that there are five bumps and seven. No, way more. And they're actually like <laughs> tiny holes and I don't know what they're from. So I was poking one. Sorry. I it's actually a, am listening. So how many kids with ADD does it take to change a light bulb? I don't remember how to ride a bike, so I can't finish the joke. Dang it. Let's go ride bikes. <laughs> you ruined my punchline. Congratulations, sir. But I am putting out to the universe that you can, in fact, forget how to ride a bike. Yep, you can. So um, there are lots of cattle herding cultures in Africa. Uh-huh. And uh, slaves that could herd cattle and care for livestock were pretty valuable in like these areas. So mm-hmm. when they were brought to America, they were a valued commodity in Texas and the Southwest because they knew how to take care of these animals. Uh-huh. So, and when white Americans started settling in Spanish Texas, which, by the way, they just started showing up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans were the illegal immigrants coming into te- Texas. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. So the uh, the Spanish Texas vaqueros and the West African cattle herding techniques kind of merged to form what we think of as the modern cowboy. So rough around uh, 1825, about 25% of the Texas population was black. And by 19 by 1960, it was about 30%. Then the Civil War happened. You mean 1860? Yeah, 1860. Okay. <laughs> 18, yeah, I'm bad at numbers. So while all of the young white men from Texas were busy being like the bad guys and Confederates in this chapter of history, uh-huh. uh, the black slaves had to do more and more of the work on these ranches, and they became a lot better and could do more stuff and became very, very proficient cowboys during this time. And also because there, were just, there wasn't barbed wire, so cattle were just kind of roaming freely, a lot of them escaped and... There were millions of cattle by the t- and just roaming Texas by the time everyone came back. So there were, were like wild unclaimed. cows. There were just wild cows roaming the roaming the plains of Texas. Now, do you think wild cows get to be like aggressive, like buffalo can be, or no, do you think just, they're just like cows who are like I feel lost? They're just they're just regular old cows who haven't been claimed by anybody. I was in 4-H once, uh, not once, I was in 4-H for a while, and one time two cows escaped from our little ranch area, and it was really cute watching them run up the street. Like, I know it's dangerous and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it was just a pair of cows who looked so pleased with themselves, and they were, like, skipping up the street while their owner chased after them. So there were all of these cattle in Texas that weren't worth a lot of money there because, you know, there's a lot of them, but you could drive them up north. To where the railroads met, and you could sell them in the north for so much more than what they were worth in Texas. So they're starting these big cattle drives, but they didn't have enough cowboys to do it. So they had to turn to their recently freed black slaves and hire them and pay them for what at the time was competitive wages to get them to actually do this. And for them, it was better work than just being a farmhand or like a delivery boy. I just realized I had never known before what cattle drives were for. Yeah, that's what cattle drives were for. It's like, in my head, I think it was like a south for the winter situation. Nope. <laughs> so in- my only Western movie I grew up with was City Slickers, for the love of God. Yeah. So there's there's some evidence, just based on contemporary t- accounts, that the uh, the black cowboys were paid as well as their white counterparts. But they were expected to do a lot more work, do the more dangerous work, and really take on extra jobs during these drives. And they were paid three times more than the Hispanic and Indian cowboys. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, so in the, they have the dangerous jobs, like breaking horses, which is like basically making them calm the hell down when someone's riding on them. I assume that's for our audience's benefit, because I actually do know what that is. Yeah, it's for our audience's benefit. I'm defining terms. Well, like I just po- said I didn't know what a cattle drive was. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm, de- I'm defining terms, just like Plato. I need to define everything. Callbacks! Yeah, just don't start with, well, actually. It's, um, actually. <laughs> um, um then, actually, it's um, actually. But then the joke doesn't work. Where does a man get his water from? Oh. A well, actually. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. You have bested me again, sir. Again. So, oh, also, they, they would also work as cooks, and uh, they were expected to perform and sing songs and to pack musical instruments. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, I, this leads me to a point. So, all those old classic cowboy songs were, in fact, written and performed by black performers, and basically all of country music started with this. So, you country music association assholes who decided that, you know, Old Town Road wasn't country because he was a rapper. Like, learn your history, dumbasses. Yeah, and there are very few black country singers. I don't think it's because there aren't black country fans or because there aren't people who would be good at it. Just because they're kind of locked out still. Yeah, it's, there's a, I was doing my research and they're talking about how in rodeos, there were huge racial barriers in rodeos. They wouldn't let like black rodeo performers perform for a long time. And they had to bust into it by being better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So it was, I didn't go into that too much, but it's, I think there's a very similar thing happened with country music in which, you know, the fans would just throw a hissy fit back in the Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. It's like, or even like, you know, certain cowboys we know today. Mitch McConnell is not a cowboy. Don't let him have that. He's a turtle boy. (laughs) No, he's a turtle man. Are we calling him a man? He's a turtle. So also, this came up. I couldn't find anything about them, but there were lots of accounts of women of color who were also cowboys and on these drives doing like all of this ranching work that you just, that like no one else would do. Now, maybe you didn't find this, but were they all called cowboys or did they call the women cowgirls or is that a more modern cutesifying of it? I have no idea about that. That sounds like a cutesifying. And by the way, um, there was, I I was watching an interview with an old, with an, with an older man who was talking about, yeah, it's like, they were like, you know, everybody called, called them boys because, you know, it was the racist ass South. And so it's like, you know, go over to those cowboys. So the cowboys were probably come from, Wait, so yeah. cowboy is actually originated as a racist term? Like yeah, cowboy originated as a racist term. Man, kind of like great white hope, but nobody realized that yeah. until somebody accused accused someone of using it in a racist way. Yep. I can't remember if it was actually it racist, was, I think it was lack like, of knowledge. I don't it was, remember. I'm, I'm going to say some ESPN commentator brought it up and then someone it, had no, to... No, it was something relating to Obama, if memory, if memory serves. I think it Maybe. was. I think it was referring to, was it Mitt Romney he ran against the second time? Yeah. I think it was referring to Mitt Romney. Yep. Mitt Romney, the one guy who switched over to vote against Trump. Dude, we are, what the fuck is going on? Did someone set like this, did someone like set history to random? <laughs> is, is history on shuffle? I feel like Romney is like true neutral because like he will see this and see this is bad. I should vote this way. But then he also will tie his dog to the roof of his car. Yeah. Yeah. He is <laughs> Mitt Romney. I never thought I'd see the day where it's like, I'd say good for you, Mitt Ro- Senator Romney. I never thought I'd say that sentence. I do like that he is in a position of enough wealth and power that Trump probably can't fire him. Well, he can't fire a senator. He can try. Yeah. And 
honestly, if he has the power he seems to think he has. Yep. And of course, you know, they did all they did all of that classic cowboy shit that you saw in the movies, the like, you know, running through stampedes, fighting the Comanche because they actually did that. And like, you know, rounding up strays, all that stuff. Oddly, they weren't discriminated against that much by their peers on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, Nat Love, who actually wrote his memoirs about, like, a black cowboy who wrote about his life on the trail, said, They were always ready to share their last ration with a less fortunate fellow companion and always assisted each other in the many many trying situations that were continually coming up in a cowboy's life. Okay. But off the trail, they would revert to their cultural norms, especially around women. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, just lots of, like, I gotta show how much I hate the black people so I can impress this lady. Just so you know, folks, nowadays, most women don't find that impressive. No, they do not. And I Also, we don't want to see a photo of your penis. We also will not find that impressive. Especially you. (laughs) Chad. Chad. And of course, they still had to deal with, like, you know, segregated institutions in towns when they'd ride through. And uh, black cowboys were just straight up banned from brothels. (laughs) Now, were the brothel workers all white you know what probably not there were probably separate black brothels for these cowboys well no i'm talking i'm not talking about the ones that they could go to i'm talking about the actual workers in one single brothel oh i mean come on just look at what you know about modern people no they were not all white. uh-huh yep and so there was still those problems they were allowed to gamble they were banned from brothels but they could absolutely go into gambling facilities <laughs> and of course you know very few of them ever rose to leadership positions. Because, again, lots of lots of people, if they met them on the trail, who they weren't part of, like, the group they worked with, would not respect a black leader of this group. They probably wouldn't be able to negotiate things as well as a, and be accepted in these circles as a white person would have been. Yeah, it has nothing to do with how good of a negotiator they were. It just came down to, your skin color is not the same as mine. Yeah, they just wouldn't, they would not be listened to. So, eventually, the age of the cattle drives died, because Railroads made it further south, so they didn't have to drive cattle all the way up from Texas to Kansas to be loaded onto trains and shipped off. Barbed wire was invented, so ranching became feasible and easier, so you needed fewer people to do all this work. As that happened, they were slowly driven out of ranching because uh, generational wealth, and it was just all of these rich white people buying all of the good grazing spots, and fewer hands were needed, so they just kept on the white workers and the black ones had to leave. Uh, Lots of them did go north and bought farms. Uh, there's actually a community in Kansas called Nicodemus, uh-huh. which was founded by these people who are leaving to go, go north and farm in free territory. Believe it or not, I actually did learn about Nicodemus. Not when I was in school, but my first year working in schools, I was a second language aide. And I happened to be in a history class that was doing a year on Kansas history. And Nicodemus was the first all black town in Kansas. And Kansas believe it or not, at the time was actually pretty welcoming. Yeah. It's, at Kansas, the time. Kansas has, been, Kansas has gone through some weird shifts and changes. Kansas historically has been a very chill place. It's like the last Brownbackian years, really. Where yeah, it's like, I think like right up until Reagan, we were, well, not like progressive progressive, but like Midwestern progressive. Yeah, I mean, we had all the jazz clubs. And we, memory serves, we had drag clubs before it was cool. And yeah. I mean, we've got some, I mean, we've got some, we've got some gay bars that have been along, around here long before it was acceptable to have them open. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Although, are those on the Missouri side? Yeah, those on the Missouri side. Yeah, see, Kansas, if I remember right, might have had the drag bars. Um, 
if I remember correctly, there's an executive order on Twitter that proclaimed Kansas City is part of Kansas. That's true. That's true. Kansas City is part of Kansas now. Yep. Have you seen those shirts? The great state of Kansas. The great state of Kansas with a picture of Missouri on it. <laughs> I think okay, everyone I know who is a Kansan thought that was hilarious, but the people I work with who live in Missouri were so mad. My God. And I love the, it's a reasonable mistake to make. Not when you're the president and it's been all over the news for the last week. And every time he's here, he makes that same stupid mistake. And he's supposed to have people who check things before he goes on to the Twitters, but he does it on his golden toilet, so. Yeah, it's like, uh, okay. Can you tell we've had a really hard time with all of this impeachment stuff? Like, we, not, we're not surprised no, by the end Not surprised but. by any of it. I'm just like... Hearing him talk. Every time I hear him say a word, I get madder and madder. Although there's that great photo of him where you can see the tan line on his face, which proves that it is a spray-on tan that he does himself. Not only is it uneven, but it is in the front of his hair and it is glorious. He looks, okay, he looks like somebody's grandma who, like, is, like, not being well taken care of. He looks like a unfortunate grandmother he looks like jabba the hut if he's gone really pale yeah Ugh. so that was cowboys that was the cowboy part now i'm going to talk about like you know the lawmen because there were black lawmen and more importantly i'm going to talk about a very specific guy who is a complete and total badass i'm talking about bass reeves all right he was the first black deputy marshal in the west uh, he was born a slave in 1938 and when the Civil War started, his master uh, joined the Confederacy and brought Bass along with him. Um, re- apparently, some point during this, he escaped around the Indian Territories. Legend says that he and his master got in a fight over a game of cards, and um, Bass beat him near to death, then ran off into the Indian Territories, where he lived until the end of the Civil War and the passage of the 13th Amendment. And he lived with the native peoples there and learned their languages and learned the area, and which came in really handy because... He moved back to Arkansas, had 11 kids, and the U.S. Marshal there heard about him because he knew the languages in this area and was considered a generally brave guy who was already kind of a badass. So he recruited him in 1975 to be one of his deputies. He worked for 32 years in this territory. So are you ready to hear some numbers? I'm never ready for numbers, especially if Mm. I have to add them together in any way. He arrested 3,000 felons. Nice. In 32 years. That's... That's impressive. Uh-huh. Uh, he ki- he only killed about 14 people, all of them in self-defense, all of them justifiably. At one point, he had to arrest his own son. <laughs> um, he was being accused of murdering his wife, and he was found guilty and convicted. Then he served his time in Leavenworth and lived in Kansas. Leavenworth is an intense prison, yeah. man. He was never wounded. He did, though. One time his hat was shot off. <laughs> and one time, I don't know how the fuck this happened, his belt was shot off. That's impressive. That's so impressive. Um, he could not read, but he had a good memory. So he'd get someone to read these warrants to him. And he was able to remember which one was which. So he'd be able to recite the information from each warrant and hand them off to the necessary people without having to look like an idiot. Very cool. So yeah, he couldn't read, but he found a workaround. Uh-huh. He was also, because every time we learn about a law enforcement official, he was a master of disguise. <laughs> Did he dress up as a woman and get people to turn themselves in for No, he dressed laws? up as like, you know, outlaws or just like, you know, es- escaped convicts. He dressed up as lots of things. One time he dressed up as a tramp and had a big floppy hat with three bullet holes in it. Are we allowed to say tramp anymore? He, he dressed up as a vagrant. 
a transient a hobo hobo he dressed up as a hobo i've actually looked that one up apparently that one's still okay to say i it makes me feel weird to say I know, it's like if we can call it charlie Char- please you dress up like charlie chaplin <laughs> and big, big hat and he went to this outlaw's mother's house and said oh my gosh i'm being chased by the law they shot at me and she said you know i've got two sons who are on the run too hang out here maybe you can hook up with them so that the boys arrived and he, they got they he, they got along great, and while they were sleeping, he arrested them in their sleep and walked them the twenty eight miles back to the camp where they had been like staging, like looking for them. Poor mom. Uh, mom did follow him for three miles while yelling at him. Poor mom. This is this guy was impressive. He also might have been the basis for the Lone Ranger. Okay, yeah. He was a fashionable dresser. He rode a big white horse everywhere. He did lots. He did lots of disguises. He performed all of these near superhuman feats. He was never hurt. And a lot of the men he captured and sent to jail went to a jail in Detroit where the Lone Ranger was first produced and they got these stories from. So it's reasonable to think that they heard about this lawman who arrested them from these prisoners Mm -hmm. who then went on to live their lives in Detroit. My dad loved the Lone Ranger. Yeah. We used to have this Lone Ranger doll action figure in my house that I gather is worth like a lot of money now but because i don't remember if it was us or my dad but someone played with it and broke its legs not his legs poor silver its legs went away (laughs) so yeah he didn't retire until 1907 and in which at what point he just became a normal police officer instead of a marshal because oklahoma was a state there weren't territories he needed to like you know go rove through to arrest people and he died in 1910, and he was such a bigger badass than any John Wayne character. Mm-hmm. Joey asked John Wayne. <laughs> and there is, like, what was one, point, one of my favorite movies? It was True Grit with mm-hmm. John Wayne, like, this tubby guy going off into the Indian territories from Arkansas, just like Bass Reeves, and doing a shittier job at it than him. Uh-huh. And it is lauded as one of the most epic tales of the Wild West. When in reality, there was just this better guy with a bitchin' mustache. Look up a picture of Bass Reeves, because it was a fine-ass mustache. I feel like Bass Reeves, we're at a point now where we're trying to find these historic stories. Why haven't we made a movie of this guy yet? They're actually, are, they are making a movie of Bass Reeves. Are they? Yeah. I was looking, when I was looking at Wikipedia, it's like, it's like, in production, a documentary about Bass Reeves. A documentary, though. I'm talking about a full, like, yeah, we could Oscar film here. Oh my god. Yeah, just put like, I don't know. Who would be who would be Bass Reeves? You said he has a great mustache. What's his chin like? This is a pretty good chin. Are we talking? Does he look more like a Jamie Foxx or a Donald Glover type? Oh my, yeah, he's more of a Donald Glover type. I want to see Donald Glover in way more. I think I think Donald Glover could be Bass Reeves. Okay. Because he was a he was a charming guy, and you know who Donald Glover is? He's a charming guy. He's a charming guy and a fancy dresser. So that's 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 my stuff. That's what I had. It's pretty short. Mm Hmm. But which sounds fine because you had a lot. Are you ready for some questions? I am. Now, these are just questions about what will be on the test. So, will the fact that one quarter of cowboys were black be on the test? Nope. Will the fact that the Lone Ranger was probably based on a black guy be on the test? Maybe. I feel like that's yeah. what, if we're taking like a film studies class, then yeah. Will the fact that we've had multiple law enforcement officers use community theater levels of disguise to capture criminals and it worked great every time be on the test? It should be, but I'm not even sure what test we're talking about. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) A test to get into your police program. Yep. And will the fact that the cowboys 
were less problematically racist than we like to think they were beyond the test. I think, yeah, if they're going to talk about, like, look at the good white people, the, yeah. which is what we do. And what will, do. Will, will the fact that they were more accepting of African-Americans working with them than the Country Music Association is? No. Nope. the test? No. Nope. Yeah. So that is my stuff about cowboys. Well, I was trying to find a, a between a few different ones today. And one of them, there wasn't enough about the guy for me to cover him as an entire episode. So I just want to mention him, mention him real fast. Vaccines were brought to this country by a black slave. Really? Named Onesimus. I'm not good with pronouncing it. But basically there was a smallpox coming through and he was talking about how where he comes from, if you take the pus from somebody who's infected and rub it into an open wound on somebody who's not, they will either have it for a shorter time, not as bad, or they will not get it at all. And he was owned by, oh, I just blinked on it. One of the really, really bad guys who didn't want to believe him, but then finally someone did. And that's how they created the smallpox vaccine. Huh. Because of a black slave in Boston who I gather later went on to at least buy part of his freedom. But they don't know much about his life beyond the fact that he brought that here. He was smarter than a lot of people and then managed to get out of it. Wow. God, I'm sure I'll remember like halfway through my story who owned him because it was it was one of the really bad guys. So Cotton Mather. What? Yeah. Cotton Mather? Cotton Mather owned him. Cotton Mather. Yeah, okay. Think about the fact that we learn about Cotton Mather in school, but we don't learn about the slave who brought vaccines and said, hey, Cotton Mather, let me help you. And Cotton Mather was like, I can't get things from a slave. Okay, seriously, I don't think you could construct a more villainous white guy name than Cotton Mather. And it's sad, too, because Cotton's kind of a nice name. It makes you think of someone who would be nice, and then... Fluffy and white. Nope, he was a dick. But that's not who I'm talking about, anyway. Okay, who are you talking about? Today, I am talking about Fannie Lou Hamer. Have you ever heard of Fannie Lou Hamer? I have never heard that name. And see, that's the thing. When I talked about Clara Looper, she was called the mother of the civil rights movement. Fannie Lou Hamer is also called that sometimes. This is a person without whom much of what happened in Mississippi never could have happened. And we never heard about her. Fannie Lou was born on October 6th, 1917, the youngest of 20 children. What? 20. Same two parents for all 20. Oh my god. It's like So cl- just classic 20th child? Yeah, classic 20th child, you know. They had livestock, but a bunch of them were poisoned, and it was likely done by a white supremacist in the area because her family was actually gaining some independence, and mm. he didn't like that, but they were never able to prove anything. So they had to move to Sunflower County, Mississippi in 1919 to be sharecroppers on W.D. Marlowe's plantation. Sharecropping is basically you work really, really hard for a share of the crops. You don't get paid, really. It is slavery. It's just what it is. Slavery in all but name. Exactly. She began picking cotton at the age of six, but she also got to attend a school provided for sharecroppers' children between seasons. She really loved learning. She was actually a pretty good reader I mean, thinking about her being six years old and going to school only a couple months out of the year. She loved poetry. She was really good at spelling bees. But she had to leave school at 12 to support her parents in their old age. (laughs) Oh, God. Because remember, she was the youngest of 20. Let's say they had their first kid at 18 and had a kid every single year. By the time she's 12, they're 50. And this is early 1900s 50 oh man so she had to leave school at 12 to support her family yeah because i've seen like people who look 
people who are 30 in like this time period and they look like they are 50. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what 50 year olds look like, especially farmers. So by the age of 13, she was picking over 200 pounds of cotton every day, despite having a disfigured leg from polio. Oh, man. In 1945, she married Perry, who went by Pap Hamer. He was a tractor driver on the plantation. They stayed on the plantation for 18 years, and in addition to working the farm, Hamer was the timekeeper because she was the only one who could read and write. Wow. The couple never had their own biological children. They had had several miscarriages, and then in 1961, at the age of 44, so 1961, think about what surgeries were happening to black people. Oh, no. She went in to have a tumor removed, and they gave her a hysterectomy. She did not consent to this hysterectomy. This was extremely common as a part of a forced sterilization program primarily targeting people of color, but also people with any kind of disability or something else considered that, like, even just not being very bright. They would, women would go in for other procedures and be sterilized. It's, it's, un, it's unbelievable to think that this was happening, like, 60 years ago in this country. Yeah, 1961. Like, our parents were alive when this is mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. It's really not long ago. She coined the term Mississippi appendectomy to describe this. We never learned about this in school. No. Not a single word. Yeah. The couple ultimately did adopt two daughters, one of whom later died uh, as an adult because they brought her into the hospital and they refused her treatment because of who her mother was, because of the advocacy her mother was doing. She had an internal hemorrhage and died. Wow. So much for that Hippocratic oath. Uh Uh-huh. They adopted her two daughters after that. So they ended up adopting four total girls. Uh, Her forced sterilization was the last straw, and she joined the civil rights movement, ultimately becoming a powerful leader. On August 31st, 1962, she went to Indianola, Mississippi, to register to vote along with a bunch of other activists. At the time, we didn't learn about this in school, and this one makes me really angry. To keep black people from voting, you had to take a test. They kept, they called it a literacy test. I remember hearing about these. I just never heard about the details of them. Now, a literacy test, you would assume that you have to just read something, right? Prove that you can read, which is bad enough to begin with. No, she had to explain what de facto laws were. (laughs) And she said, I know about as much of a facto law as a horse knows about Christmas Day. Now, how many people today do you think know what de facto laws are? I mean... I do, but I also... You work in a library. I work in a a library. I am reasonably well-educated. Like 88% of people today have at least a high school diploma or GED and would not be able to, off the top of their head, in any real way, explain what a de facto law is. And they used that on people who they knew would be either illiterate or less educated to keep them from voting. Mm. Which, by the way, was a felony and punishable by law as per the federal government. So they didn't pass their test, and she didn't pass her test. So on the way back, they were pulled over by the cops for their bus being too yellow. I, so they're just trying to find an excuse to pull them over and be assholes. Yeah, and I gather you had to pay your fine before you were allowed to keep going. So the bus group pooled together all the money in their pockets, paid the fine, kept going. And then she got home. And her boss, the guy she, whose land she had lived on for decades, found out she'd gone to register to vote. And told her he, she needed to withdraw her registration because he didn't want black people voting. So she looked at him and said, I didn't try to register for you. I tried to register for myself. Yeah, he fired her and immediately kicked her off the plantation. <clears throat> but not her husband. He wasn't allowed to leave. He had to stay until the end of the sharecropping season. Wow. So she basically couch surfed for a few days, knowing that people were after her. 
Uh, and September 10th, she and a friend were shot at 16 times in a drive-by by, you know, white supremacist KKK members. Neither one of them was shot because they weren't good shots. No, it's usually the uh, Walmart militia, not particularly good shots. They just have all the fancy toys to go with their gun. And her family ultimately had to flee to a different county for three months because the KKK was after her for trying to vote. But that shit doesn't deter her. No. God, no. Uh, She had drawn the attention of local organizers who contacted her about becoming a full activist in their employ. It paid her $10 a week and was the only way her family could survive. Because her husband was, of course, let go as well. And her former owner, boss, not owner, um, took their land and their car to, quote, pay off their debts to him. They didn't own a goddamn thing. But they yeah. took. They actually did have, like, their own land. He took it. They had mm-hmm. a car. He took it. Yeah. And this is in 1961, not 1861. So they were living under de facto slavery. Yes. Or this is 1962, because in 1962, uh, December 4th, she went back to the courthouse to try to pass her test again. She failed it again, and she told the uh, registrar, all right, you're going to see me in 30 days. You're gonna, I'm going to be here every 30 days until I pass. She passed on January 10th, 1963, and was technically a registered voter. Technically. Technically. Except in order to vote, you also had to have two poll tax receipts. Now, I couldn't really figure out exactly what a poll tax is. Or at least how they could call it a tax, because it is proving that you have paid to vote. Things like this still exist as of, uh, like, as, if you're looking at Florida in April 2019, former felons have to have paid off all financial obligations relating to their sentence before being allowed to vote. So that's, I believe that's, that sounds like it's illegal. It's, a, it's against federal law, yes. Yeah. But this is also Florida, where laws and, go to die. Well, also, much like we're in, senior citizens. We're in Trump's America. There is no such thing as law. The rule of law is dead. Um, I've been welding spikes onto everything I own. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to the Thunderdome, bitches. Yeah, all of this vote violates the 24th Amendment. And this particular poll tax was used primarily against Black and Native American voters, just as just as the test was used against Black and Native American voters. But Hamer found a way to pay them, got the receipts, and was allowed to vote. During this time, she became involved with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Oh, that's um, what John Lewis was in. Yeah, and she was a part of this, but she... Um, She taught classes for them. She gathered petitions to help people get money and other resources for impoverished Black Southern families. She became a field secretary for voter registration with the primary goal of getting rid of the barriers to voting that she had experienced. With them, my stupid screen. Um, Where'd you go? There. With them, she was traveling to a pro-citizenship conference with the, when the group she was with stopped in Wyoming, Wy, Winona, Mississippi, and re- refused service as a, at a cafe. So obviously the police come, get them to leave. But one of them decided that he was to write down the officer's plate numbers. The officer sees this and starts arresting everybody. Now, by most accounts, Hamer was not actually in the cafe, but still on the bus. So she sees this happening. She comes out and she's like, can we go? Like, can, can, I, can I leave? Like, what's happening here? So she gets arrested, too. In the jail... Two uh, police officers held her down and ordered two of the other inmates to beat her with a blackjack, which is basically like a billy club. If she screamed, they had them beat her harder. Then the cops began to grope her. When she resisted that, they pulled up her dress, exposing everything from the breasts down so everybody would have to look at her naked body. Now, that's bad enough now. I want you to imagine this in the 1960s. Oof. Others in the group were treated similarly, including a 15-year-old girl who had just not said sir when asked a question. Yeah, she just said yes or no, not sir. So she was beaten within an inch of her life, too. 
okay, I know shot silence is not great for a podcast, but that's really all I can muster right now about this. And one of the people from the leadership conference kind of was like, something's weird. They haven't checked in. So he kind of found out what was going on. He went down there to check on them. He got beaten too. He wasn't even arrested. He just showed up at the station and was beaten like this. So she took over a month to recuperate and was never able to fully recover. She had permanent kidney damage, leg damage, and eye damage from this beating and this after being arrested for being on a bus near a person who was taking down officer plate numbers. Wow. Mm-hmm. But she went on and organized voter registration drives, including the 1963 Freedom Ballot. At the time, African-Americans made up half of the population who could vote in Mississippi, but only 5 to 6% were actually registered. The Freedom Ballot, which we never learned about in school, was a mock election with, pol- with polling stations set up throughout the area. When polling ended, almost 79,000 votes had been cast, four times the number of Black people registered to vote. They achieved all four of their goals, which were protesting exclusion of Black voters by the Mississippi Democratic Party, educating Black... Hiccup. Educating Black Mississippians about registration and voting, proving that Black people were interested in voting, and perhaps most importantly, they drew the attention of the federal government regarding how voter rights were being suppressed. We never learned about this. No. When we learned about the 15th Amendment, which allowed people to vote, we just were told they were allowed to vote. That was it. We fixed everything. White people fixed it. Yep. That was in 1870, almost 100 years before she was having to do this. And we never learned about voter suppression in this way. We talk about it on the news now. Mm-hmm. And it is still happening. Yeah, like, um, for example, Kansas, we have the ID laws. Uh-huh. And we had um, uh, now globally renowned asshat Chris Kobach as our Secretary of State. Jesus. Which, he's still running for senator, so. He's so pretty. Man, he, um, okay, <laughs> my my grandpa, when he was about 80, we were at, we were at a, like, little, we are at the VFW for some barbecue after the kitschy little Norman Rockwell 4th of July parade here. Yeah. Uh, Chris Kobach comes up to my grandpa, who's wearing his U.S. Army hat, and starts talking to him. And the second my grandpa realizes who he is, starts swearing at him and just <laughs> cussing him out and followed him around the VFW, <laughs> berating him for a good 15 minutes. So I'm very proud of my grandfather and Chris Kobach's an asshole. Your grandpa is somebody that should be taught in history classes. I uh, Like, the shit that he did, it's like, yeah. you know, going into places that were refusing service to fellow servicemen because they are black and be like, well, I guess I'm not eating here either. Peace. Yeah. He was, was like, cool. He was, he, was from, uh, he was from rural Minnesota. And when he was drafted into the army, he got sent into the, uh, the very heart of the Jim Crow South. And he thought, well, fuck this noise. Yeah, because they, like, he barely seen black people before then no, and, ha- <laughs> I, and, I would- then, and he got down there and it was his first experience with people who were not like him and he was like wait a second though they're not that not like me it's like they're still people yeah <laughs> yeah your grandpa was cool yeah. i'm sad i didn't get to know him before he got sick yeah he was pretty cool yeah, yeah. so that was anyway chris kobach was the guy pushing for a lot of that stupid voter stuff here in america so keep your eyes on him and if you do see him somewhere Follow him around and berate him for 15 minutes. Isn't Chris Kobach's people the ones who cussed you out later? Yeah. Or was that Yoder? That was that was Kobach. Yeah, Austin had the audacity to turn away from them during the parade, and that resulted in them yelling cuss words at him in front of three-year-olds. Yep. It's okay. I should have followed them for 15 minutes That's... yelling at them, as family tradition dictates. <laughs> next time. Next, next time. time. But yeah, these ID requirements we have now, you have to pay for an ID. 
that is paying to vote, yeah. plain and simple. And it also means that if you don't speak English as a first language, you're going to have a harder time filling out the paperwork. So we're making sure that you can't vote. And also, if you want to go to the DMV, that is hours out of your day during the workday. And lots of people, lots of, you know, poor people don't have the ability to take half a day off just to do this. Well, especially around here, we don't have public transit. So you have to drive to the driver's license place without a driver's license. Yep. To get your driver's license that you have to pay for. Yeah. It's even worse in rural areas where sometimes you have to go a couple of counties over. Mm-hmm. Anyway, voter suppression is still a thing and it is illegal at the federal level. Do not allow it. Do not just say it's okay. It's not okay. Anyway, following the Freedom Ballot, she became integral in Freedom Summer. Did you ever hear about Freedom Summer? No. The only summers I've heard about were the summer of 69 and the summer of love. Which I think are the same summer. It probably is. <laughs> I'm not sure, though. This was also called the Mississippi Summer Project. This was a voter registration drive. Over 700 mostly white volunteers joined the African-American organizers to fight voter intimidation and discrimination. If we'd learned about this, this is what they would have talked about. Look at the white people. Look how they saved everybody. No, we. Were, I mean, I'm glad that they went and helped out. That's good. And, I'm, and she very much believed, Fannie Lou believed that this would not succeed if it was just black people fighting for it. It needed to be everybody. And the rights that she fought for were not just for black people, but for anybody who was being repressed. That was her big thing. But that's what we would have talked about is look at all the white people who saved them. Just like we don't talk about the fact that we didn't allow Holocaust victims to come over here until people noticed that we weren't doing it. Anyway. They were met with an insane amount of violence from the KKK and law enforcement, including beatings, false arrests, and at least three murders. At least. The murders are actually like full-blown true crime disappearing people stuff. Oh. And they did find the bodies. Oh, I think I heard about this. Okay, now that you mentioned it. It was two white northerners and one black guy who lived there. Yes. Investigating a burned church. Yeah. And then they just poof. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were found uh, and KKK did it. Yeah. But this event this summer helped pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and Voting Rights Act of 1965, and we never heard about it. We were taught that the I Have a Dream speech did it by itself. No. Now, I'm not saying that that speech isn't important. I'm saying it's not magic. Nope. This was this was one event that was very well publicized in, a ongo- in, in the middle of a series of events, in the middle of an ongoing series of events, to try and get equal rights. Now, I want to quickly mention that the majority of the participants in this were college students. So these are young people, which means we need to stop being mad at young people for wanting things to change. Because every time things have changed, it's largely been the young people who changed it. And it doesn't mean that, you know, older generations, you intentionally did something wrong. You used the information you had at the time to try to make things better. We have new information now. We still have to make things better. Like, we look at a lot of things that are kind of, ugh, now, but we look at where they came from, we're like, oh, okay. So that actually was a big improvement. And -hmm. at the time, with the information they had, they thought that was the best way. So stop harping on young people for trying to make things change, guys. Fannie Lou then went on to help found the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, which was in response to the regular Democratic Party, who was all white. Again, a quick pause. (laughs) This is something Republicans like to use against the Democrats, that we were the super racist ones in the 60s. Parties evolved. Both parties have gone back and forth. Sometimes Democrats have been conservative. Sometimes Republicans have been conservative. Some of the times we've been super racist. Sometimes they've been super racist. We, nobody's ever been not racist. 
both parties to this day are kind of racist, but at different, le- different levels. Stop using something that happened in the past to justify what you're doing now. Just because Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, it doesn't mean you're not racist. That's like me saying that no white person is racist because Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Yep. The Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party was not just about ensuring black people got the vote. It was about fighting exploitation and discrimination against anyone. Hamer and others from the party traveled to the Democratic National Convention in 1964 to stand as their official delegation from Mississippi, and Hamer was their speaker. They were there to fight for um, seats in the Democratic National Convention, basically saying that they need to make sure that every Democratic party is involved there somehow. Her speech was interrupted by President Lyndon B. Johnson on purpose. He had a planned speech at the same time that news stations had to cut to instead of letting her speak. That's that son of a bitch, the goddamn Texan. Here's the thing. Her speech was so good that the news station still picked it up and played it later that day. (laughs) Part of it was, all of this is on account we want to register to become first class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off the hooks because we... Because our lives are threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings. Basically saying, by not letting us have a say in this country, you are allowing us to be have our lives threatened every day just for wanting to be equal. And the news stations were smart enough to realize that this was the real news story, not Johnson talking to a group of like 30 dudes. Well, Senator Herbert Humphrey tried to propose a compromise that would give them two seats, leading to a reformed convention in 1968, but they told him to fuck off. <laughs> The Mississippi delegates members walked out, that's the white ones, and the um, Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party was in fact seated in 1968 after the Democratic Party adopted a clause requiring equality of representation from states' delegations. And in 1972, Hamer became their delegate. Yay! Rewinding a bit to 1974, which is the year that she went to that convention, she actually ran for Senate. (laughs) She didn't win, so she continued her work in other areas. She was a major leader of Head Start, which is still around today, but back then it was a grassroots organization. She also was involved with Martin Luther King's Poor People's Campaign. She fought for equality regardless of where one was in society, whether you were in a city or you're in an agriculture area, especially focusing on agriculture, because sharecropping still very much existed. Didn't matter how long or how hard you worked, you were kept in one place. So she tried to work really hard to help Black people and other poor groups get their own land, get their own supplies, and become independent of their... Not owners, for sure. They're, air quotes, landlords. Mm-hmm. In 1969, she pioneered the Freedom Farm Cooperative, which helped to redistribute that power. And I'm running long already, so I'm going to give just a very vague description. She helped get meat for people who couldn't afford it. She found ways to get livestock and land to people who didn't previously have it and worked to create affordable housing and entrepreneurial opportunities for those who did not have access. That was about summing up four paragraphs on Wikipedia. All of these have names. It's fascinating. Her Wikipedia page is one of the longest ones I've ever read, and we never learned about her. Wow. In 1967, she published her autobiography, To Praise Our Bridges. It's probably at the library. In 1971, she co-founded the National Women's Political Caucus, which I believe is still around, but I didn't really check, arguing that women could be the majority of voters if women of all ethnicities voted, saying a white mother is no different from a black mother. The only thing is they haven't had as many problems, but we cry the same tears. I like her. That's a good quote. (laughs) 
Because of her family's poverty, she never got to finish school, but people started to realize that she was really, really smart. So she got a Doctor of Law from Shawnee University and honorary degrees from Columbia College, Chicago in 1970, and another one from Howard University in 1972. In 1970, Ruleville, which is where she lived, Ruleville Central High School in Mississippi held Fannie Lou Hamer Day with the whole town celebrating in 1976. She's still alive at this point. Despite being total badass, though, we can't forget the trauma that she went through. I mean, she was forcibly given her and her hysterectomy. Hysterectomy. She was beaten into permanent kidney damage. She was sexually assaulted. She was shot at at least 16 times. She was threatened with murder God knows how many times. So in 1971, she was hospitalized for nervous exhaustion for several months. 1974, she had a nervous breakdown and was hospitalized again. Later that year, already in very poor health, she was diagnosed, uh, she was later diagnosed with breast cancer in 1976 and died of hypertension and breast cancer in 1977 at the age of 59. Basically, all of this caught up with her. Her body got tired because of what was done to her, not what was done by her. People just blamed her for it. And she is credited with coining the phrase, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. It is on her gravestone. One of her protégés, Andrew Young, had grown up to be the United States ambassador to the United Nations. Remember, she he had been fighting with her only like 10 years before this, and now he is the ambassador to the United Nations. And he was the speaker at her funeral saying, none of us would be where we are now if she had not been there then. That same year, Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson wrote 95 South, All of the Places We've Been in Her Honor. We obviously can't play that on the podcast because it is not in public domain, but you should go listen to it. That's what I interrupted your show with when I was trying to listen to it. Okay. Uh, And then things kind of stopped until 1995, when Ruleville Post Office was renamed the Fannie Lou Whitmamer... Fannie Lou Hamer Post Office by an act of Congress. The Fannie Lou Hamer Institute on Citizenship and Democracy was founded in 97, later merged with the Council of Federated Organizations on Civil Rights Education Complex at Jackson State University, which created the Fannie Lou Hamer Institute, which includes a research library and outreach programs with a lot of education happening. The original one was also about education regarding civil rights. Uh, Jackson also has the Fannie Lou Hamer Public Library, and she is depicted on the Buffalo, New York Freedom Wall. There have been other songs and books written about her, and there are several other educational locations named after her. The third annual Women's March in 2019 in Atlantic City was dedicated to her. And despite the state of emergency due to a snowstorm, a lot of students from the Fannie Lou Hamer Freedom High School went anyway. I actually got a little emotional writing about her. Oh. So let let me collect myself before I read this last thing. So when talking about all of this, she said, I guess if I'd had any sense, I'd have been a little scared. But what was the point of being scared? The only thing they could do was kill me. And it kind of seemed like they'd been trying to do that a little at a time since I could remember. So she was the biggest badass. And we never heard a single word about her in school. Nope. We heard about John Lewis, Martin Luther King, JFK. Can you hear my Mm -hmm. question mark? Yeah. Not saying he didn't do good stuff, just not the point. Several other men, Rosa Parks, the one woman we ever heard about, because they barely touched on Ruby Bridges for me. And Ruby Bridges Mm -hmm. was a kid who really did not know what was happening, poor thing. Can you just imagine how scary that would be, especially to Mm. a kid who was not like, yes, I'm old enough to volunteer for this. Um, But we never heard about her. Will Fanny be on the test? No. Will Freedom Summer be on the test? Yes. I'd hope so by now. Yeah. We did learn about the police brutality, the fire hosings. Will her sexual assault be on the test? 
maybe now. I mean, we're living in a post-Me Too world. We're not in schools, though, that schools yeah. take way longer to catch up. That's and then true. they're still learning that you're a bad person if you have sex. We've barely stopped learning that AIDS can't be passed by a high five. Although we're not teaching AIDS anymore anyway. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so that is Fannie Lou Hamer, who was the biggest badass and deserves to be taught every year, whether or not it's relevant to the topic you're learning about. Agreed. So what did you learn today? I learned that a fourth of cowboys were black, and that's really cool. Yeah, I, I really love it. That, like, this, like, big, like, so incredibly romanticized, like, figure of the American West, this thing that we associate with freedom and America, and a quarter of them were black. And I just did not know that until, like, this week. Yeah, there are so many things that we have whitewashed. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. What is something you learned? I learned about Fannie Lou Hamer, and... How she was just, like, unstoppable, unflappable. Like, I, I was like, if I had given, like, a third of this other happened to her, it happened to me, I would have been, like, I would have moved to, like, the middle of Maine in a cabin and never spoken to anybody again. Yeah, Austin can attest that I don't get emotional very easily. Like, I just, uh-huh. I learn stuff and I'm like, okay, this is the facts. But with her, I was like, this woman went through so much to the point where she actually did have a literal breakdown at the end, which is also something we never talk about, that these people... I kind of doubt Martin Luther King went home every day feeling awesome. I doubt that Rosa Parks never had a nightmare about the things that happened to her. But we don't talk about that because we don't want them to seem weak. And having a mental trauma response to things is not weakness. Acknowledging it is strength. Yep. And so even if it, I don't know if it was against her will or if she volunteered, but either way, getting treatment for it was exceptionally brave of her, especially in the 1970s. Yeah. And, like, she literally had an organ ripped out against her will at some point. That's enough to mess anybody up. I mean, can mm-hmm. you imagine if a guy went in for surgery and all of a sudden his testicles were gone? Oh, my God. There there would still be outrage over that. Mm-hmm. But we don't talk about this happening to women. Oh, no, never. And these women, some of them were children that they were doing this to. Like, and I remember, right, I read that one of them was eight. Eight? Like, if I remember it, I might be mixing it up with something else that I read during all of this. But they were doing this to children, too. Like, they were... I mean, this is not somebody we want procreating. There are plenty of women alive today who were sterilized in their teens and 20s because we, white people, decided that they didn't deserve to have kids. Yep. And that's not a uniquely American thing, too. It they, is not. They did that They did that in Sweden around the same time, too. So it's not just us. This has been, it was like an era of just people, for some just unknowable reason, thought this was a good idea against all logic. Yeah. So... I mean, it got kind of heavy there, but at the end of it, for both of us, I think that they're actually like really hopeful stories. Yeah. It's people we should learn about, and I'm glad that in our small way, we can bring them to people like us who never had the opportunity to learn about them. And maybe that's changed. Maybe kids now do learn about this stuff, and we're just, I was never a history teacher. You've never been a history teacher. No, I've never even listened to a history teacher. You've spoken to some of my history teacher friends. Maybe I just didn't tell you they were history teachers first. Maybe. No, um, if you'll if you'll review the tapes... You'll notice that everything I did, I did via pantomime. Whenever I taught my history units, Austin stopped listening to me for two weeks. Yep. (laughs) But yeah, at the end of the day, I think these are like, these are stories of people who defied everything that was going against them and made the world in some way better. Like, I don't think the civil rights movement would have had any of the successes it has. Not to say that things don't need to improve because they absolutely do. But I don't think they would have succeeded as much as they did without Fannie Lou and the other women and other people who were involved with this that we forget about. 
Martin Luther King did not do this alone. John Lewis and Martin Luther King weren't a buddy comedy. It was a whole group of people. And I feel like even John Lewis wants to make sure people know that. Yeah. Oh, so dude, we had a bummer this week. But we didn't. We didn't at the same time. It's like, I don't know, mine like brushed up against genocide a little bit. Yeah, mine didn't have genocide so much as eugenics. Yeah, so I guess... So if you're playing along at home, kids, finish that whole drink because we just got into genocide. Yeah. That was a bad high five. Kids, don't be drinking. If you're 21, play your drinking game. If you're under 21, go have some milk. Go have... Get those strong bones. Unless you're lactose intolerant, then have a cool glass of water because it's important to stay hydrated. Unless you're the kind of lactose intolerant that only makes you gassy. If you have a younger brother or sister... Drink that milk and then go into their room when they're asleep. Close the door, let them rip, and then run. Yep. Or <laughs> we're both oldest siblings. Yeah, we're both older siblings. Not that I've ever done that to my sister. <laughs> Actually, um, I think she listens to this. So, dearest sister, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I ever <laughs> farted on you and ran out of the room. Oh boy. Well, where can people find us? Well, I think they can find us at on Twitter at on the test pod, on Instagram at on the test pod, on Facebook at on the test pod, and our website at can you guess it? On the test pod.edu.gov. We are very official now. Um, I'm afraid um since Brexit we are now on the test pod.eu. <laughs> on the test pod.com, guys. Yes. On the test pod.com. We are a dot com. There's no slashes, it's just a dot com. I lost my train of thought there for a second. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> and also, please tell your friends if you enjoyed the show or if you enjoyed any of the shows and give us a rating and a review. The reviews help so much on iTunes or if any of your podcast apps let you do that. It's amazing to me how few give you even the option to give a thumbs up to something, let alone a rating. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, all of you out there who are listening to us, if you've got suggestions, if you've got corrections, if you've got... If you just want to tell us we smell bad, which how could you tell through a podcast? Just let us know because we like feedback. Your sister's going to message us with how we smell bad now. I mean, she will. But I, it's like <laughs> she, she does that about once a week anyway because you deserve it. That's true. I mean, she texted me while we were talking and it was just, you smell bad. <laughs> yeah, but come find us. Give us those reviews. And yeah, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Class, Class dismissed. dismissed. Lift. You're not my boss. Are we going to end every episode with you telling me I'm not the boss? I mean, you, you actually, you are the boss. <laughs>